I think routines are a good sign that you kind of have a general like way of living your life that um, almost I would think of as the anchors, you know, the pillars that kind of are always there throughout the normal other stuff that you may be changing and um, not always as consistent with. Um, doing things that feel good. The buzzword for this is self-care, but I like framing it as doing things that feel good. Because when I think when you say that sentence, you think of a lot of things that feel good to do. Um, whereas self-care, I think we got to, right now we have kind of a narrow lens, you know, it's like particular acts of meditating and baths and whatever is self-care, uh, therapy, whatever. But doing things that feel good is a wide open and it's very different from person to person. Um, but I think if that's a part of your life, <laughs> that's a sign that you're in a recovery space, that you do things that feel good to you. In this episode, we're exploring the question, what does trauma recovery look like? So as we round out this limited series, I think it's important to get really practical about recovery. So we dive deep. We bring back Tara Booker to explore what is recovery? How does that relate to trauma? And how can we start a journey of recovery? I think a, a word that sticks out from what you just shared is the word journey. Yeah. And uh, Tara really described that well. You know, it's... um. It is a journey and it's it's a lifelong sort of journey and it's something that, um, you know, there's no quick fix. And it's really, what's really cool about recovery from trauma is that when people start to see how their life changes in a positive way, they are, you know, want to be lifelong learners in mm -hmm. this regard and continue to do work because it has such a positive impact. Yeah, I really love the practicalness that she brought to this conversation and I also just really love Tara and the way that she approaches things and the way that her brain works. And so it was a really fun interview to um, kind of reconceptualize my understanding of recovery because mm -hmm. often I think recovery is associated just with addiction or attachments. And mm -hmm. so I was excited to kind of broaden my understanding of that and explore this a little bit more. Welcome to the Treating Trauma Podcast. I'm your host, Mackenzie Vogt. And I'm your host, Christopher O'Reilly. Join us for a limited series of conversations with trauma experts and world-class clinicians from Milestones, a one-of-a-kind, holistic, and specialized residential trauma treatment experience. Together, we'll explore how unresolved trauma from our past can disrupt and block us from being the person we want to be. Uh, Tara, we're excited to have you back. Thanks for joining us again as we dive into another topic. Um, I'm just excited to chat with you because you come with such a holistic lens and the whole system. And so this topic in particular, I know that you have uh, lots of experience, you and Christopher both. So I'm excited to, to learn from you both. So we're talking today about trauma recovery and just that concept in general. Um, as we chat about that, I think the word recovery has a lot of connotations in our culture. And so let's just start there. What is recovery and how can it be extended into the trauma space? I am going to go really simple yeah. um, and just think of recovery as, well, as they say, it's a process. <laughs> uh, so it, it really, I think, is a lifestyle, like a mm, way of living good. your life that hopefully the guiding post 
is wellness mm. Mm. instead of any kind of illness or um, injury or wounding. That that would be a simple way of looking at it. That recovery is that that's the thing that really sh- I try to shape my life around. That when I think about what I'm doing, that that's the light that I'm following uh, instead of a lot of the other kind of unhealthy things that can be the things that really drive what we do and how we live our lives. So Tara, you saying that, you know, someone who's in recovery is really sort of creating a life around a specific intention, which Mm -hmm. is wellness, healing. Mm -hmm. And so that sort of has a direct impact on, you know, how they take care of themselves, who they spend time with, what they do like all that stuff is that what you're saying yeah yeah i like just saying wellness Mm -hmm. because i think that means everything Mm -hmm. because it is everything you know Mm -hmm. it's emotional relational spiritual physical Mm -hmm. um occupational social it's all those things every every area emotional so yeah i remember the first time i heard someone um working at onsite refer to being in recovery and i just assumed that they we're like recovering from addiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're like, okay, I, I'm in recovery. And so I kind of dove more into that and realized that they had this more expansive definition of it, mm-hmm. of I'm in recovery from codependency or I am in recovery from this, you know, um, behavior that has derailed my life. It just was really interesting. And so I think the pursuit of wellness really does give us a new frame as we talk about all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, Tara, is there like a turning point for people who are, recovering from trauma where they go from you know maybe struggling with their trauma or being their life is really impacted to because of their trauma and then they move into recovery like i know because like i come from the alcohol and drug treatment space and for a lot of people it's the day of their last use right and so and it, it's not always that black and white or that clear, but they go from like being in active addiction to in recovery. Um, like a decision, like a turning point. Yeah, it's it's very clear mm-hmm. uh, in some respects because just True. because they stop drinking doesn't mean they get into recovery. Yeah. Let's be that's a whole other conversation. Mm-hmm. But just do you think from a trauma recovery perspective, is there like a turning point, I guess, where you go from not being in recovery to because the way you described it, it's like, you know, making a decision to have this guiding sort of almost it's like a, a principle or mm. it's a it's a guiding value how would you describe that some of the things that that come to mind thinking about that would be um I, th- I think it would be different for every person, mm-hmm. just as actually like all the other recoveries are, mm-hmm. that each person might define that differently if they were getting into the nitty gritty of their recovery story and um, whatever their illness was. So mm-hmm. I think some of those things that if I were kind of getting in the mind of a client or listening to the stories of a client would be things like when they first reached out for help. Mm-hmm. Um, the, because there's probably for most people, there's a long period of time or a period of time where they're struggling and they don't, Mm -hmm. they're not already in help Mm -hmm. (laughs) for that thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so first reaching out for help and, um, getting into a space that is a helping space for you in that, so that can be the beginning of a recovery process for someone. 
Uh, I think for others, it might be some of those kind of external acute issues. Like I was able to go back to work because I wasn't um, bedridden by mm-hmm. the distress of this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to go live on my own again mm-hmm. because I wasn't able to manage that by myself for a long time. Like I think there may be some of those bigger shifts where they can feel like they're able um, to be in that. And then others, I think it would just be um, being able to be live in their daily lives, not be run by those acute symptoms, Mm -hmm. um, like flashbacks or anxiety attacks or those kind of things. And they would say that when those started to subside or decrease, at least that they felt like they were in recovery from trauma. That's good. I think it's interesting that the language around all of this is like in recovery. We don't really ever say that we're recovered. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and I think at Onsite, we often talk about, like, you're starting a journey. It's an emotional wellness journey. And we don't ever really arrive. Um, and why is that? A, like, I think that could be on the whole, like, externally thinking, well, that's not actually good news. But the longer that I've been on my own journey, I think that that's the best news, is that we don't arrive and that I get, get to continually grow. Um, when it comes to recovery and trauma, why is that a good thing? Why is it, like that we get to be a part of this ongoing journey instead of recovered. Yeah. Well, I think we're, you know, really kidding ourselves if we think being a human and staying alive means uh, we're not changing all the time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's just true on the whole. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> Which I don't know how much we're in touch with, you know, yeah. all the time. And so then we have issues like this that are glaring uh, and they kind of halt us. Mm -hmm. In that movement in life, you know, we get like frozen in in it and we feel the lack of that shift and that continued movement and growth and evolution. And then we realize, oh, no, you know, Mm -hmm. oh, no. And so I think it's just true about being a human is that that's the process of living is is growth all the time, is change all the time. And also adversity, like Mm – I mean, just because we've overcome and, you know, looked in our past, like Mm -hmm. there's going to be more that we're going to come into. And now we're equipped better to handle it. Yeah. That's a big part of recovery is being equipped. But yeah, it's not just going to stop. That's right. And often. And I think that, you know, our experiences come with us. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, this is like gets into some uh, some of the misconception areas about um, trauma and recoveries and all the kinds of recoveries that we we get over things. You know, that's mm. kind of the alternate idea of or similar idea of other side of the coin of arriving is I'm yeah. over it, you know, and uh, I carry every experience with me that I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Good, bad, awful, indifferent. They're just with me. That's mm-hmm. part of being a human. And so I think it's that, too. It gives space for the reality that um, I'm recovering from it. So it stay, it, it's still an active kind of agent in the way that I'm showing up and moving in the world. I mean, I think about all of these maybe normal things, more quote-unquote normal things that we would have in our lives that – are a process that we actually change in, like our marriages, mm-hmm. like the jobs that we do, even if we have one career, uh, how different we become and how we relate to that differently and the things that we learn differently as that yeah. time goes on. Um, 
about those parts of ourselves. And so I think our trauma um, is another one of those things. Uh, grief, I think, is a great example mm-hmm. of being in process. I think yeah. we have a little bit of a correct lens to a degree on that grief is something we carry and mm-hmm. it moves all you know on a line for the rest of our lives. We don't really get over um, the loss of a loved one, even though there's some of that idea, you know, mentality out there. But mm-hmm. for the most part, I think we do better with framing that in um, in an open and authentic way of yeah. what it means to say, I'm always going to miss that person. That's a I'm good always parallel. going to remember that. I'm always going to sometimes be sad about it. Yeah. Um, but that also will change and grow at different times the yeah. longer that I live with it. Sure. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost like, like you said, we're always evolving and changing and I feel like we're either becoming more self-aware or less self-aware depending on how we are spending our time Mm -hmm. so you're right like it's we're either growing but some people might feel stuck or become Mm -hmm. less Mm self-aware because of the their choices. Yeah. It makes me think of moving the the way you said it moving further away from oneself or closer to oneself. Yeah. We are always moving. That's right. You know, that, Truly. That's, that is being alive, is that the energy is still going. But it's which direction am I moving? You got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, that's good. Mm. Um, I'd love to just talk about, like, what are what types of recovery communities could we get in? If we're in recovery, like, what does that look like and how can that support our journeys? I think the power of recovery community is a shared language and a shared pursuit of wellness. Um, and being around people who kind of get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was my first thought is is a space that's people like me, quote yeah. unquote. Like whenever we can find a space that's people like me, uh, that feels really good to recovering from whatever like a painful thing is in our yeah. lives. Uh, and that can be in places like Al-Anon and AA and NA and Codependence Anonymous and all the A's. They got an endless <laughs> supply. All the A's. One for every human in the world, I think. Yeah. Um, and um, then there's, you know, also people like me might mm-hmm. mean the, the, the friendships that I then create in my life are people who have also maybe are open about challenges they've experienced mm-hmm. or who I learn have been through something really hard and live a life that I think is a good model or one that I want to walk alongside. Um, and also hopefully people who are actively a part of our life who know who know us and also yeah. know these things about us. Mm-hmm. I think that is a recovery community is um, that people are actively a part of it who really know me and even these parts of me. And yeah. Then, you know, therapy is always good too. Therapy is <laughs> always good. Well, I think it makes me think even like of a pie chart of like, what does my support network look like? Mm-hmm. And it has to be robust. It can't, you know, mm-hmm. be just my family and friends. Mm-hmm. It has to be family and friends and yeah. a therapist and, maybe a recovery community and yep. maybe a faith community and just yep. building out that pie chart of support mm-hmm. I think goes a long way in any emotional wellness journey, no matter what you're facing. I think just as a human, it's important to diversify our community. Yeah. Yeah. Tara, I like what you said about, you know, how well do people know you? Yeah. And I think we play such a big role in that. Like how much, you know, and it's not always easy for people to let others in. That could be kind of like a, a wounded area there, or some people have had to be so pretty self-protective. And but uh, 
man, that gives us a lot of agency mm-hmm. to, you know, uh, take what I consider calculated or healthy risks to let people in. Mm-hmm. And then that allows us to develop really supportive relationships, mm-hmm. which can be key. And one of the lenses that I think has helped me leaning into certain relationships is knowing the difference between private and secret and public. Like there's public knowledge that I share with most everyone. I'm on a podcast and you hear a lot of information about my life. But then there is private information um, that I just share with a select few of people. But there is rarely like I want to be a person who has less and less secret. Because I think that's where the danger is. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so, that spectrum is different in every relationship. Yeah, in every relationship. like <laughs> That scale changes yes. depending on who's sitting in front of me. Yes, I'm not going <laughs> to. I think um, I've also heard like the analogy of like the card deck. Like I get to choose what cards I play with who. Um, and a big part of my story has been realizing like I have agency of my own story and I get to choose who I let in. You know, I grew up in a family system that was really open and there was not a lot like our just our sphere was really big. And so this person got as much information as someone who should have been on the inner circle. And so just taking back that agency has been a big piece too. Mm-hmm. Um, and entering into safe relationships, but making sure that I have the people who know me. The, the reason that I would say we always want to aim for privacy versus yes. secrets yes. is because secrets really feel shame and icky. Yes, and so they, if it's shame it. feeling around it, like, oh no, I can't, you know, that would be shameful if that person knew that about Mm me i think secrets are often things that we are even not even conscious that i'm like Mm -hmm. just tucked away hidden versus privacy is something i choose and discern Mm. to keep to myself because Mm -hmm. that feels safe Mm -hmm. for this space that i'm in right now yeah yeah it might be kind of a rabbit hole kind of question but why do you think secrets are often attached to shame Mm. I think that's like the nature of a secret is that it really is born out of shame that that it is something that I have shame attached to whatever that thing is that happened to me or even like being like some even if it's not terrible trauma it's like being an addict Mm -hmm. if I have any kind of story or feeling of shame attached to that thing uh, then I'm inclined to then keep that as a secret Mm. Um, which again is a hiding Sure. Like secrets Be- are about hiding. Fear of judgment, fear of disconnection, mm-hmm. yeah. fear mm-hmm. of just a not a good, like upsetting somebody. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. That's good. And I think, I mean, hearing you say this, I think maybe the safest place to go with that is a therapist who's someone outside of me. And I think a lot of you were saying, even if you don't acknowledge it or don't know it, I think a therapist is a really safe place for that to, to start to pull secrets out. Um, as an objective observer and witnesser of your life. Who can't tell anybody. Who can't tell anyone anyway. And doesn't offer their own opinion about it back at you. Yeah. It's a beautiful place to start. You <laughs> <laughs> can't offer it back to you. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, what are some of the practices or rhythms that might be associated with recovery? You talked about this guidepost of wellness. What does that look like? What does wellness look like? Um, I think routines are a good rhythm or habit. Yeah. Um, And that's different for everyone, you know, but I think everyone has them. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people are like regimented with a certain type of routine where they wake up at the same time and they make themselves lunches and breakfast and they're at appointments at a certain time. 
if that's what like really gets you motivated and feels best for how to function in your day, then that's your routine. Mm -hmm. Some people are not that kind of person and their routine looks more like zoomed out. You can see it, but not so zoomed in. So they don't wake up at the same exact time or go to bed at the exact time every night. Even there's a lot of science about how that doing that is as much as possible as help more helpful, but there's flexibility in all the things. Um, so that may be more loose for you. Um, but you also generally, um, see, you don't see people on the same schedule every week, your friends or your family, but it's in there, you know, it's, it's a, it's an irregular occurrence. It's, it's something that's consistent. Um, it's just not, as maybe rigid or regimented mm-hmm. as another person, you get things, you get your work done, but it's going to be more fluid. Mm-hmm. Like you may do blocks at a time. You know, I may do certain types of work from like two to four and instead of like a nine to five day or whatever, mm-hmm. things yeah. like that, that you have your routine mm-hmm. that fits for you. Um, but for you, it makes sense. Like it feels like you're in your rhythm of yeah. what feels good to you. I think routines are a good sign that you kind of have a general like way of living your life that um, almost I would think of as the anchors, you know, the pillars that kind of mm-hmm. are always there throughout the normal other stuff that you may be changing and um, not always as consistent with. Um, doing things that feel good. Same the buzzword for this is self-care. But <laughs> I like framing it as doing things that feel good. Because when I think when you say that sentence, you think of a lot of things that feel good to do. Yeah. Um, whereas self-care, I think we got to – right now we have kind of a narrow lens. Yeah. You know, it's like particular acts of yeah. meditating and baths and whatever is self-care, uh, therapy, whatever. But doing things that feel good is a wide open, and it's very different from person to person. Yeah. Um, but I think if that's a part of your life, <laughs> that's a sign that you're in a recovery space, that you mm. do things that feel good to you. Um, so, yeah, that is a wide open lens. Um, yeah. I think, yeah, I think anything that keeps you in touch with your inner world, mm. and I also am saying it that way because that is – allows it to be different and I think change as you get further along in recovery Mm. initially for most people that is therapy Mm -hmm. it's like the thing that keeps me in check with like what the heck is going on inside Mm -hmm. what am I feeling why am I feeling this what do I do about it um but then as you grow there are lots of other things that help you do that like hopefully as a therapist I'm giving you lots of ways to go and do that in your life sure uh to be aware of that as a regular practice so like then it might be journaling or meditating or taking walks um or going to meetings um or recovery meeting or that kind of thing and then i think any kind of accountability um is a good part of like a habit or routine just again people that know you Mm -hmm. um people that are kind of in the realm of what is good for me and to are they able to see that they have a close enough look at my life that they can see if I'm in that, not in that? Do we talk about that? Mm-hmm. Um, is communication open for that? Yeah. Tara, when I'm listening to your list and I think it's fantastic and I'm sitting over here wondering, like, I wonder what Tara would think about this. Like, what's what do you feel is the role of um, pushing yourself or mm-hmm. stepping out of your comfort zone mm-hmm. 
or, you know, how important is it to challenge yourself in those types of ways when it comes to, and I know the details of an individual situation is very specific, you know, this is a vague question, but like, Mm -hmm. I guess my question is how important is it for someone to consistently step out of their comfort zone in their own recovery? Yeah, well, maybe a, a, a sign of like healing from trauma and being in recovery is that you um, have spontaneity and flexibility mm. because then you're not fear driven anymore. Mm-hmm. So I think that does speak to that, that you would feel a sense of safety, that it's okay to go outside of what feels like my comfort zone yeah. all the time. Yeah. Um, so I can be adventurous which also may mean like going to a different kind of 12-step meeting that I've never mm-hmm. been to. Like it's not just like, jumping yeah. out of an airplane and sure. going to a new country. Um, but I think that's absolutely a part of it yeah. um, because we can, I think we can get stuck in rigidity yeah. and monotony. Yeah. So When I even think there's this, there's this balance of like doing things that feel good, like mm-hmm. you said, but also doing things that are hard. Yes. Mm-hmm. And both are kind of needed. And, and I'm not talking about like training for a marathon. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying like talking about the things that are uncomfortable to talk about yeah. with your therapist or going to that 12 step meeting, like you said, that is uncomfortable because, you know, it's new. Um, just really sort of leaning into conflict in relationships, leaning mm-hmm. into con- setting boundaries you know, in relationships, yeah. all that kind of things stuff. that maybe you didn't do mm-hmm. when you were. Mm-hmm. more bogged down by the effects but of But I think like too much of that, mm-hmm. or too fast, mm-hmm. time yeah. is everything, mm-hmm. can be super stressful and that's counterproductive, mm-hmm. right? So it's like this, and again, I'm going to come back to like this idea of a coach, like someone that can like mm-hmm. kind of help you decide that you have, help you to make sure you have both, uh, uh, you know, get a For massage, sure. but also talk about the hard things in therapy. Like yeah. they're both important. For sure. And I mean, the reality that a lot of the things that feel good, feel good after I do them, not before. (laughs) So there is that hump often that I have to push myself over. Like I never want to meditate. I always feel good when I do it. Hmm. Both of those things are true. You got it. And the never and always are not an exaggeration. Like, yeah, I never want to do it. I always feel better when I do it. It always feels good. So I think there is also that area of like, it's hard and it feels good. Both. (laughs) I'm a, I'm, I call myself a runner. Like I like to run. You like at the feeling after running? Well, that's exactly what I was going to say because when I'm like tying my shoes at 530 in the morning, that's, I don't like that part. No. And I don't like getting started, Mm -hmm. but like a mile in. It starts to feel good, mm-hmm. and then the entire day afterwards, mm-hmm. it's a total different experience than if I don't. Mm-hmm. And uh, same, I, I totally agree with you with meditation too. Mm-hmm. Hey there. If you're enjoying this podcast, I want to make sure that you know about Onsite's Living Centered podcast. Every Monday, we sit down for authentic conversations about the things that matter. Join me, Lindsay Nobles, and Hannah Warren as we get to chat with mental health experts, artists, and friends for practical and honest conversation about how to pursue a more centered life. 
rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. Get it wherever you get your podcasts or visit livingcenteredpodcast.com. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Now, back to the interview. I, um, in the last few years, started going out by myself, like to dinner or something, taking mm. myself out by myself. Uh, also, an uncomfortable, like, I don't, it's not a comfort zone. I'm an extrovert, 100%, so I love being with people. <laughs> so going out by myself was something that was literally like stretching a brand new muscle. Mm. And it's always a little bit scary and vulnerable. And every time I do it, it feels so nice. And I'm glad I did it. So that's another kind of different. See, I can't but. relate. I'm an introvert. Yeah. So being alone is fantastic. Yeah, you love it. I have to push myself to do social things. Yeah. Mm. Um, but with that being said, like my worst nightmare is like a cocktail party, small talk kind of situation. Mm-hmm. I can't. I can't. Mm-hmm. But, what, but I sometimes actually enjoy it. And make new connections, which is sure. really important, sure. even for introverts. <laughs> yeah, even for introverts. Even for introverts. That's so good. I think that's a good distinction that the things that are good for us are not always the things that we like to do. Mm-hmm. I think so much of that, like, I never want to go to therapy. Mm-hmm. I never one time, I'm mm-hmm. like, this is going to be great. And then I did I did a season of EMDR, and I never once wanted to do it. Every, every morning, my body would start to react, and I'd be like... Okay, well, I have to do that this afternoon. But every time I was glad I did it. And do the things that you really love to do. That you're like, I'm so excited to go see my friends. I'm so excited to go swimming today. I'm so excited. That's good, too. That's good, too. That's so good. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you. Is there anything else that you would want to leave people with with encouragement around their uh, being in recovery, their recovery process, giving themselves grace as they walk through it? Because I think this requires a fair amount of that, like, Maybe there is a, a misconception that recovery is a smooth path. And from what I know, it's actually kind of like an up and down and backwards and forwards path. Yeah, I think that maybe is is the thing that feels important is is not linear, you mm-hmm. know. And I, I do think that can be really surprising and difficult for people who are in it um, is that you can make really big strides and um, have a lot of stability and health and then and then something whether it's like a life thing changes and some of that stuff kind of comes back up in a different way feels challenging or you are doing your work and you have new like memories arise Mm. that feel like a surprise and throw you off course um and or you're just like doing really well and then you just have a season where you're just like don't feel great and you're sad and you're not motivated and like the weirdness of being alive and like for uh, hopefully a long time is all those things are likely and I think it can be jolting a little bit like when it happens when you've especially if you've made progress and you've gotten Mm -hmm. to a place that feels like homeostasis or stability Um, and so just to normalize that and, and in a similar way as a person who struggles with expectation and perfectionism and like self-work is the thing that I feel like I am doing all the time or should be doing or whatever, uh, that we just don't work our way out of dysfunctional behaviors a hundred percent. They don't go away. Mm -hmm. Um, just because you did all the work 
all the trauma, all processing, all the family stuff, changed your relationships, have really great patterns, have a really great way of living your life, you still are going to wake up some days and get into a shame spiral about what so-and-so said yesterday. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. that's just part of it. Um, we don't not have our defense mechanisms anymore. Uh, we hopefully have them less, mm-hmm. and we hopefully have a much more uh, active and responsive relationship with them when they come up and know what to do with them. So those are the two things that I think can be helpful to normalize those aspects of recovery in the long haul. Absolutely. Tara, I really appreciate that because I feel like you're giving people permission not to be perfect. Yeah. And let's have realistic expectations Mm -hmm. too. You know, regardless of experiences, nobody's going to be in a good mood feeling positive all the time mm-hmm. and to give ourselves permission to just have off days and kind of feel lousy or maybe just feel, you know, you might just watch a lot of extra TV and not get to the gym. Like yeah. mm-hmm. it's not the end of the world and be gentle with yourself. Mm-hmm. Like we all have that. Doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. No. That's good. No. For sure. Thanks, John. Yeah. Hey friends, thank you for joining us on this journey of treating trauma. I have loved being a part of all of these interviews and getting to show you the work that we do here at Milestones and maybe offer you some encouragement and some insight into the effects of trauma um, and some of the ways that you can partner with yourself, partner with your community, partner with professional support to overcome and treat the trauma that you may be experiencing the effects of. So thank you for joining with us. I loved this episode with Tara where she provided so much encouragement around what trauma recovery looks like and invited you into this journey. And as we round out this series, I wanted to leave you with a little bit of encouragement from a few of the voices that you have heard over the last 13 episodes. Starting with Sam and Amanda and Ian, I love their encouragement because they all speak to the importance of pace when doing this journey and being kind with yourself. Please celebrate the baby steps. Mm. Baby steps are so huge. And And I do my experience, and again, I haven't been in the field too, too long, but my experience is that people are looking for these aha moments, these breakthroughs. And I think people even come to residential treatment to find breakthroughs and ahas. And they certainly happen. But I think what's even more important is are the baby steps. Mm-hmm. Um, that you keep that you keep stepping a toe into a relationship, that you keep being genuine and vulnerable with people that feel safe, even if there's still trauma or, or negative cognitions online that tell you otherwise, that you're still you're still showing up as much as you can. That's a victory in and of itself. Um, so yeah, celebrate the baby steps. Slow, mm-hmm. slow and steady. It's not a sprint, it is a marathon. It's mm-hmm. just slow work. It can be easy for us to want to rush and get to a finish line. And oftentimes, 
things like saturation and um, where our brain just got, it's overloaded with us trying to make it better, make it better, make it better, ends mm. up not helping because our body just needs more time and slowness to really let things settle and move and take things in. A very wise woman by the name of Christine Jackson <laughs> once told me that um, if you really boil down trauma healing to three components, it would be slowing down, mm -hmm. connecting to self, and connecting to others. So, yes, slow down. And I would add, don't, be, don't do this alone. Mm -hmm. you know? um, there are people out there in the world who want to hold you in whatever pain that you're in. And so find those people and surround yourself with those people. Next, you get to hear from Megan and Marie and Crystal, who all remind you to keep at this journey. Uh, they have a message of endurance and a message uh, bolstering you that you have what it takes to be on this journey. Don't give up. Lift your eyes. Put one step forward and use your story to help others. The impact that you can have because of your trauma. The chapters of life that we don't want the most often are the ones that are used the most. So move forward mm -hmm. and be able to, yeah, that's what I would say. Um, my encouragement would be that um, there isn't a magic cure and mm -hmm. that recovery from trauma um, and addictions and things like that um, are, are every day. Mm -hmm. And we, we just use the tools every day that we've learned um, to recover and to stay in recovery from, from trauma and that it's, um, you know, not – not cured it's it's just not a cured thing mm. and i think sometimes when we um wrap our minds around that it gives us um more less anxiety ar around recovery and trauma um just yeah. to know that it's a everyday thing and we do work on it every day and everybody is different on what they do every day to maintain mindfulness around you know their trauma and their work here Keep at it. Hmm. Yeah. Just keep keep working or keep moving in a direction toward what feels right for you to heal. Yeah. And your healing, somebody's healing may be really different than somebody else's. So just because what somebody else used didn't work for you, keep leaning into the idea that it might actually be possible to heal. So much of these interviews have spoken to the importance of community and having people around you and understanding what it means to lean into safe community 
even when it feels really risky and really vulnerable. And so I love this encouragement from both Bobby and Emily to remember that you're not alone. My wish for you who desire to heal from trauma is to know that what you're up against is ironically feels impossible Mm -hmm. because the Mm -hmm. healing cannot happen without trust. Mm -hmm. But the first thing to go is trust. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, that's, yeah, trust versus mistrust at the very beginning. Um, And there's Mm. words will never assure you but that's all we've got is to let you know that there you can trust there are places and people and mm. there is love in the world um and just if to hear mm-hmm. that and to try to take it in as much as you can mm-hmm. and make your way toward allowing for that trust and in that the healing comes and uh and trust is the primary ingredient for healthy attachment and Mm -hmm. healthy relationships Mm -hmm. and love itself you're not alone and it's okay for it to be scary and hard Mm -hmm. right because it's scary hard work um but the reward is so great, right? Like the freedom of feeling a sense of safety, mm-hmm. um, moving towards healing, so powerful. And rounding out the encouragement with Terrence, I am so grateful to remind you to be patient and kind and gracious with yourself as you walk this out. Compassion, compassion, and compassion. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) Yes. Because one of the features of trauma also is is shame. Yeah. And so it's easier to shame. And what I tell clients, I say shame does not invite investigation. Sometimes um, it's easier for us to be compassionate towards others. And it's very difficult to let ourselves off the hook. So compassion actually works better than shame. I tell clients, shame will get you started with something. It's not sustainable. Mm. Compassion works works way better, Mm -hmm. which, which is foreign to most of our clients because they've been taught pull yourself up by your bootstraps, they get a lot of shudders. And so mm-hmm. when I say, no, it's okay, you know, that's foreign. So teaching them how to just have compassion for oneself. All right, our time together really has come to a close. I am so grateful for each and every one of you. And I hope that you walk away today knowing that you are worth the love you put out into the world. Um, and you are worth health and healing. And as we say at Onsite, emotional health is not something you just need. It's something you deserve. And so I hope that this series has been a reminder of that for you. And if there is anything that we at Onsite or Milestones can do to join you and support you in your journey, please do not hesitate to reach out. We are grateful for each and every one of you. If you or someone you love is struggling with the negative effects of unaddressed trauma, 
the safety, community, and expert care of the residential experience at Milestones may offer the individualized help and healing you need. Milestones is a -a one-of-a-kind, holistic, and specialized residential trauma treatment experience, serving individuals adversely affected by symptoms of unaddressed trauma, including anxiety, depression, codependency, and PTSD. This innovative and integrative program offers a variable length of stay from 30 to 90 days, specific to individual needs. When life feels like too much, Milestones offers a refuge and a place of healing. Learn more at milestonesatonsite.com. Also, we'd love to help you explore the right option for you. You can connect with our admissions team for a confidential call at 1-800-341-7432 or email them at admissions at onsiteworkshops.com. You deserve this.